Chapter Nine of Against the Grain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Against the Grain by Joris Karl Wiesmans. Translated by John Howard. Chapter Nine. These nightmares attacked him repeatedly. He was afraid to fall asleep. For hours he remained stretched on his bed, now a prey to feverish and agitated wakefulness, now in the grip of oppressive dreams, in which he tumbled down flights of stairs and felt himself sinking, powerless, into abysmal depths. His nervous attacks, which had abated for several days, became acute, more violent and obstinate than ever, unearthing new tortures. The bed-covers tormented him. He stifled under the sheets, his body smarted and tingled as though stung by swarms of insects. These symptoms were augmented by a dull pain in his jaws and a throbbing in his temples which seemed to be gripped in a vice. His alarm increased, but unfortunately the means of subduing the inexorable malady were not at hand. He had unsuccessfully sought to install a hydropathic apparatus in his dressing-room, but the impossibility of forcing water to the height on which his house was perched and the difficulty of procuring water even in the village where the fountains functioned sparingly and only at certain hours of the day caused him to renounce the project since he could not have floods of water playing on him from the nozzle of a hose the only efficacious means of overcoming his insomnia and calming his nerves through its action on his spinal column he was reduced to brief sprays or to mere cold baths followed by energetic massages applied by his servant with the aid of a horsehair glove but these measures failed to stem the march of his nervous disorder at best they afforded him a few hours relief dearly paid for by the return of the attacks in an even more virulent form his ennui passed all bounds his pleasure in the possession of his wonderful flowers was exhausted their textures and nuances palled on him besides despite the care he lavished on them most of his plants drooped he had them removed from his rooms but in his state of extreme excitability their very absence exasperated him for his eyes were pained by the void. To while away the interminable hours, he had recourse to his portfolios of prints, and arranged his goyas. The first impressions of certain plates of the caprice, recognisable as proofs by their reddish hues, which he had bought at auction at a high price, comforted him, and he lost himself in them following the painter's fantasies, 
distracted by his vertiginous scenes his witches astride on cats his women striving to pluck out the teeth of a hanged man his bandits his succubi his demons and dwarfs then he examined his other series of etchings and aquitints his proverbs with their macabre horror his war subjects with their wild rage finally his plate of the garotte of which he cherished a marvellous trial proof printed on heavy watermarked paper unmounted goya's savage verve and keenly fanciful talent delighted him but the universal admiration his works had won nevertheless estranged him slightly and for years he had refused to frame them for fear that the first blundering fool who caught sight of them might deem it necessary to fly into banal and facile raptures before them the same applied to his rembrandts which he examined from time to time half secretly and if it be true that the loveliest tune imaginable becomes vulgar and insupportable as soon as the public begins to hum it and the hurdy-gurdies make it their own the work of art which does not remain indifferent to the spurious artists which is not contested by fools and which is not satisfied with awakening the enthusiasm of the few by this very fact becomes profaned trite almost repulsive to the initiate this promiscuity in admiration furthermore was one of the greatest sources of regret in his life incomprehensible successes had forever spoiled for him many pictures and books once cherished and dear approved by the mob they began to reveal imperceptible defects to him and he rejected them wondering meanwhile if his perceptions were not growing blunted he closed his portfolios and completely disconcerted again plunged into melancholy to divert the current of his thoughts and cool his brain he sought books that would soothe him and turned to the romances of dickens those charming novels which are so satisfying to invalids and convalescents who might grow fatigued by works of a more profound and vigorous nature but they produced an effect contrary to his expectations these chaste lovers these protesting heroines garbed to the neck loved among the stars confined themselves to lowered eyes and blushes wept tears of joy and clasped hands an exaggeration of purity which threw him into an opposite excess by the law of contrast he leaped from one extreme to the other let his imagination dwell on vibrant scenes between human lovers and mused on their sensual kisses and passionate embraces his mind wandered off from his book to worlds far removed from the english prude 
to wanton peccadilloes and salacious practices condemned by the church he grew excited the impotence of his mind and body which he had supposed final vanished solitude again acted on his disordered nerves he was once more obsessed not by religion itself but by the acts and sins it forbids by the subject of all its obsecrations and threats the carnal side atrophied for months which had been stirred by the enervation of his pious readings then brought to a crisis by the english cant came to the surface his stimulated senses carried him back to the past and he wallowed in memories of his old sin he rose and pensively opened a little box of vermeil with a lid of aventurine it was filled with violet bonbons he took one up and pressed it between his fingers thinking of the strange properties of this sugary frosted sweetmeat when his virility had been impaired when the thought of woman had roused in him no sharp regret or desire he had only to put one in his mouth let it melt and almost at once it induced misty languishing memories infinitely tender these bonbons invented by sirotin and bearing the ridiculous name of perles des pyrenees were each a drop of sarcanthus perfume a drop of feminine essence crystallized in a morsel of sugar they penetrated the papillae of the tongue recalling the very savour of voluptuous kisses usually he smiled as he inhaled this love aroma this shadow of a caress which for a moment restored the delights of women he had once adored to-day they were not merely suggestive they no longer served as a delicate hint of his distant riotous past they were become powerful thrusting aside the veils exposing before his eyes the importunate corporeal and brutal reality at the head of the procession of mistresses whom the fragrance of the bonbons helped to place in bold relief one paused displaying long white teeth a satiny rose skin a snub nose mouse-coloured eyes and close-cropped blonde hair this was miss urania an american with a vigorous body sinewy limbs muscles of steel and arms of iron she had been one of the most celebrated acrobats of the circus had watched her attentively through many long evenings at first she had seemed to him what she really was a strong and beautiful woman but the desire to know her never troubled him she possessed nothing to recommend her in the eyes of a blasé man and yet he returned to the circus allured by he knew not what importuned by a sentiment difficult to define 
gradually as he watched her a fantastic idea seized him her graceful antics and arch feminine ways receded to the background of his mind replaced by her power and strength which had for him all the charm of masculinity compared with her des esseintes seemed to himself a frail effeminate creature and he began to desire her as ardently as an anaemic young girl might desire some loutish hercules whose arms could crush her in a strong embrace one evening he finally decided to communicate with her and dispatched one of the attendants on this errand miss urania deemed it necessary not to yield before a preliminary courtship but she showed herself amenable as it was common gossip that des esseintes was rich and that his name was instrumental in establishing women but as soon as his wishes were granted his disappointment surpassed any he had yet experienced he had persuaded himself that the american woman would be as bestial and stupid as a wrestler at a county fair and instead her stupidity was of an altogether feminine nature certainly she lacked education and tact had neither good sense nor wit and displayed an animal veracity at table but she possessed all the childish traits of a woman her manner and speech were coquettish and affected those of a silly scandal-loving young girl there was absolutely nothing masculine about her furthermore she was withdrawn and puritanical in her embraces displaying none of the brute force he had dreaded yet longed for and she was subject to none of the perturbations of his sex des esseintes inevitably returned to the masculine role he had momentarily abandoned his impression of femininity weakness need of protection of fear even disappeared the illusion was no longer possible miss urania was an ordinary mistress in no wise justifying the cerebral curiosity she had at first awakened in him although the charm of her firm skin and magnificent beauty had at first astonished and captivated des esseintes he lost no time in terminating this liaison for his impotence was prematurely hastened by the frozen and prudish caresses of this woman and yet she was the first of all the women he had loved now flitting through his reverie to stand out but if she was more strongly imprinted on his memory than a host of others whose allurements had been less spurious and more seductive the reason must be ascribed to her healthy animalism to her exuberance which contrasted so strikingly with the perfumed anaemia of the others a faint suggestion of which he found in the delicate sirodin bonbon miss urania haunted him by reason of her very difference 
but almost instantly offended by the intrusion of this natural crude aroma the antithesis of the scented confection des Esseintes returned to more civilized exhalations and his thoughts reverted to his other mistresses they pressed upon him in a throng but above them all rose a woman whose startling talents had satisfied him for months she was a little slender brunette with black eyes and burnished hair parted on one side and sleeked down over her head he had known her in a cafe where she gave ventriloquial performances before the amazed patrons she caused her tiny cardboard figures placed near each other on chairs to talk she conversed with the animated mannequins while flies buzzed around the chandeliers then one heard the rustling of the tense audience surprised to find itself seated and instinctively recoiling when they heard the rumbling of imaginary carriages des Esseintes had been fascinated he lost no time in winning over the ventriloquist tempting her with large sums of money she delighted him by the very contrast she exhibited to the american woman this brunette used strong perfumes and burned like a crater despite all her blandishments des Esseintes wearied of her in a few short hours but this did not prevent him from letting himself be fleeced for the phenomenon of the ventriloquist attracted him more than did the charms of the mistress certain plans he had long pondered upon ripened and he decided to bring them to fruition one evening he ordered a tiny sphinx brought in a sphinx carved from black marble and resting in the classic pose with outstretched paws and erect head he also purchased a chimera of polychrome clay it brandished its mane of hair and its sides resembled a pair of bellows these two images he placed in a corner of the room then he extinguished the lamps permitting the glowing embers to throw a dim light around the room and to magnify the objects which were almost immersed in gloom then he stretched out on a couch beside the woman whose motionless figure was touched by the ember gleams and waited with strange intonations that he had long and patiently taught her she animated the two monsters she did not even move her lips she did not even glance in their direction and in the silence followed the marvellous dialogue of the chimera and the sphinx it was recited in deep guttural tones which were at first raucous then turned shrill and unearthly here chimera pause never lulled by the admirable prose of flaubert he listened he panted and shivering sensations raced through his frame when the chimera uttered the magical and solemn phrase 
new perfumes i seek stranger flowers i seek pleasures not yet discovered ah it was to him that this voice mysterious as an incantation spoke it was to him that this voice recounted her feverish agitation for the unknown her insatiable ideals her imperative need to escape from the horrible reality of existence to leap beyond the confines of thought to grope towards the mists of elusive unattainable art the poignant tragedy of his past failures rent his heart gently he clasped the silent woman at his side he sought refuge in her nearness like a child who is inconsolable he was blind to the sulkiness of the comedienne obliged to perform off-scene in her leisure moments far from the spotlight their liaison continued but his spells of exhaustion soon became acute his brain no longer sufficed to stimulate his benumbed body no longer did his nerves obey his will and now the crazy whims of dotards dominated him terrified by the approach of a disastrous weakness in the presence of his mistress he resorted to fear that oldest most efficacious of excitants a hoarse voice from behind the door would exclaim while he held the woman in his arms open the door woman i know you're in there and with whom just wait wait instantly like a libertine stirred by fear of discovery in the open he recovered his strength and hurled himself madly upon the ventriloquist whose voice continued to bluster outside the room in this wise he experienced the pleasures of a panic-stricken person but this state unfortunately did not last long and despite the sums he paid her the ventriloquist parted to offer herself to someone less exigent and less complex he had regretted her defection and now recalling her the other women seemed insipid their childish graces and monotonous coquetry disgusting him in the ferment of his disordered brain he delighted in mingling with these recollections of his past other more gloomy pleasures as theology qualifies the evocation of past disgraceful acts with the physical visions he mingled spiritual ardours brought into play and motivated by his old readings of the casuists of the busenbaums and the dianas of the liguoris and the sanchezes treating of transgressions against the sixth and ninth commandments of the decalogue in awakening an almost divine ideal in this soul steeped in her precepts a soul possibly predisposed to the teachings of the church through hereditary influences dating back from the reign of henri iii 
religion had also stirred the illegitimate forbidden enjoyment of the senses licentious and mystical obsessions haunted his brain they mingled confusedly and he would often be troubled by an unappeasable desire to shun the vulgarities of the world and to plunge far from the customs and modes held in such reverence into convulsions and raptures which were holy or infernal and which in either case proved too exhausting and enervating he would arise prostrate from such reveries fatigued and all but lifeless he would light the lamps and candles so as to flood the room with light for he hoped that by so doing he might possibly diminish the intolerably persistent and dull throbbing of his arteries which beat under his neck with redoubled strokes End of chapter 9 Recording by Martin Geeson In Hazelmere, Surrey